hello and welcome to another episode of happy hour live with brian rosen we are neither an hour and we are not live but we are indeed happy so today i have an entrepreneur with me that really defines what i would call entrepreneur seth benheim from infused spirits and a whole host of other things is with us today for a chat about the whiskey business the spirits business entrepreneurship, and his own podcast, which I know is very well received and very well regarded. Seth, thanks for being on the show. Thank you for having me, Brian. It's good to chat. So I, I gave you a huge buildup. You have to let me know if, uh, if my buildup is accurate. And you have to let me know, uh, let us know collectively, you know, the, about 30,000 or so that, that download this kind of bathroom read. Uh, weekly. So tell me, tell me everything you do that you have your name associated with. Uh, you covered, you covered the gamut uh, correctly. So that's, that's where I'm at now. I am the CEO and founder of Infused Spirits, which also uh, owns Broken Barrel Whiskey Co. And we have our small space down here in downtown Los Angeles, which is the infusory. And then I am co-host and one of the founders of the Cartel Hour podcast, which is uh, now a subsidiary of castcartel.com, which is an e-commerce uh, spirits platform. And yeah, so currently that's what I'm working on. And that's a good, it's a good amount. <laughs> so that's a lot. And when you say you're now a subsidiary of, did you have a, was there a transaction there? Did you get swept into something? Tell me how that like played out. My partner and I started a podcast and did about nine or 10 episodes and then took it to Cast Cartel, reskinned it, rebranded it, uh, the whole deal and, and became the sort of entertainment side of that e-commerce website. So it originally started as our own thing. We just wanted to drink spirits, talk to people about spirits and we had booked a, a celebrity and that kind of caught some attention and we took it out to a few people and ended up partnering up with Cast Cartel which at the time was a relatively new website, but I think they're now in their third year of business. We are in our second year of uh, podcasting with them and it's been fun. I mean, we love it. And as you know, you're podcasting right now. I'm sure you've, you've enjoyed it so far. It's a great experience. Well, you don't, I mean, I don't think you do these things if you don't enjoy them, but what's interesting about it is that very few people, and I'm talking about suppliers in general, very few people understand that selling anything is part selling and part Barnum and Bailey, right? It's, it's part Ringling Brothers. It's part entertainment. It's part education. You obviously caught that at an early age. And do you think that the sale begets the podcast or the podcast begets the sale? What comes first? Whew. I, somebody I, said I, it a little, you didn't know I give you a tough one like out of the gate that's not a tough one it's just it's all perspective so there there was a, a great saying that I heard once which is similar it's that if you're not selling you're marketing and if you're not marketing you're you're in the business of transacting a sale so you have to always be doing one or the other there's no downtime there's no rest in business right. uh, or in the business of selling so if I have a free minute I need to be on Instagram you know, doing a little video and getting people engaged. If I don't have, you know, a sale or an order or something in the pipeline that needs my attention, then I need to be marketing if I'm not selling. And so they're happening, you know, interchangeably day in and day out, hour after hour, but you're always doing one of the two. Now, in terms of which came first, the chicken and the egg, you know, I've got plenty of products that I bought off the shelf, like, like a good example would be Four Gate Whiskey or um, Frey Ranch. Hopefully I'm saying yeah. those right. But I heard podcasts about those products and I'm like, damn, this sounds interesting. So I went and bought them. So the podcast came first and the sale came after. Yeah. But, you know, sometimes you sell something and people go, hey, this is, we want to hear more about this. We just bought this product. Can you come on and do a, an episode or come do our whiskey club or something? So happens that way too. I, you know, it's, it's funny. I guess, I guess the bigger, the bigger question would be to suppliers now of which you are, I mean, you're obviously an, a brand creator and a supplier and an entertainer and all of the things, 
but do you think that a supplier now needs to also be, you can't just be a great distiller, right? You can't just be a great wine grape grower or a brewer. You have to be a showman. To be successful in the eyes of a wider audience, yeah. You know, when people ask for help or they, they people come at, come to you, Brian, I'm sure you get tons of brands or tons of entrepreneurs that cross your path and they want an investment or they want to sell with you or they want to you know get consulting. And I'm starting to get some of that now in my life and in my line of work and brands I meet and distilleries I visit. And people ask, how do you get to where you are if they're, if they're not quite there yet? And my answer is always like, well, what are you going after? Like, what are you trying to do? Are you trying to make a living and that's enough? Like put food on the table? Are you trying to sell your company for a hundred million dollars or, or a billion dollars? Like what's the goal? Cause there's different actions and paths required. So does everyone need to be a showman and put on the Barnum and Bailey? Not if you're trying to make a hundred grand a year in profits and that's all you ever want. Right. I, I just joined a wine club up in, uh, outside of Paso and I think Templeton, small winery called Plessy. There's no song and dance. There's no- They're about crazy. the craft. They're about the craft. Yeah. If they put the best goddamn wine on the table they can, and that speaks for itself, no tablecloth, no fancy this, no fancy that. Guy's not wearing a tie, nothing. It's just shows up in his plaid shirt and he's like, this is the wine I made. Well, that, I that, hope you like it. I think yeah, it's great. That's how it used to be, right? It used to be- that when I got into the business, so I'm 51. And when I got into the business full time after grad school, I was like uh, 23, maybe 24. And you could rest on the laurels of your brand. You could just put a good brand out there and people would find it. And now there are plenty of shitty brands that are really successful because they're backed by great marketing. And yeah. one of the phrases I always use, and I may have even used it with, with you and your team, is the worst brand with the best marketing is Jägermeister. When I was working in bars through college, the girls, these women would come out in lederhosen and these you know, bikini type outfits and very scantily clad and they would buy shots for people at the bars and that's how they grew their brand. They were the first, see St. Pauli girl did it first, but they did it from a, like a sexualizing women and, and, and for consumption. That was a first mover advantage, but they weren't so aggressive as Jaeger was. Jaeger really was in your face with all of this. St. Pauli was more, hey, we're this, you know, Lederhosen kind of lifestyle. And Jaeger said, we're going to party with you and we're going to party in bikinis and buy our brand. And Sidney Frank, who was the chief marketer at Jaeger and later went on to other great things before he passed away, that was his gig, right? He said... I'm going to market the shit out of something and it doesn't matter what it is. And lo and behold, Jägermeister is a, you know, is a top 50 skew globally. Yeah. Yeah. I took a bus right from college town to college town with all the girls. And at a certain point, by the time he got to the other end of the country, they were already hearing about Jäger bombs from other college towns. Yeah. And so, don't forget, this is before Instagram and social media. And, the, and the, I mean, someone would call you on their rotary phone, you know, and say, Hey, look, what's coming. You know, they were, they're doing the tour of the big 10, right. Or you, and you read about it in the back of sports illustrated, like in an advertisement. And that's how they spoke to you. So when I look at like your videos, you put on YouTube and the videos you have on Instagram, breaking the barrels and all that, talk about that a little bit, because what you're really doing is you're tapping into this a little bit of the same thing. You really have a lot of sizzle to create smoke. Yeah, uh, the the barrel breaking kind of just made sense, and we thought it would be really fun to, to get axes and hammers and smash well, barrels. what it is first, so people that don't know about it, tell us what sure. it is first, yeah. So the, the real lead brand for us right now has kind of been breaking out as our, pun intended, is our uh, broken barrel whiskey. And we literally take broken barrel staves and put the wood in the whiskey rather than just the whiskey in the wood. So we age whiskey traditionally in barrels and then vat it or, or um, tank it. And then we 
throw the broken barrel staves from three different kinds of casks and throw that into the tank and let that kind of give it a second finish or second aging and just kind of start around, agitate it and then filter it so it's how many particles. And then we put out these triple cask finished whiskeys and we call that our oak bill because there's ratios to keep to of the different kinds of casks, just like there's a ratio of grains in a mash bill, so different kinds of grains. So we thought, we thought that was pretty creative. Um, we don't really know of anyone else that's doing that or at least transparent enough to put that on the bottle. So every bottle has the oak bill and the mash bill spelled out percentage wise, grain, all that. But then the marketing aspect that we're kind of talking about here is the element of when you get on YouTube, you get on Instagram, you see me or me and someone else, or, you know, we've done it several times now where we actually lift up sledgehammers and crash them down over barrels and smash them up. And the reality is, I think to your point, Brian, is that the quickest or most efficient way to break a barrel down? Probably not. I mean, use a, a hoop driver and a hammer. You can just kind of tap the rings off relatively easily, especially if the barrel's a little drier. You just pop the rings right off and the whole thing kind of falls apart like a blooming onion. So it's not that hard to, to take a barrel apart, but that's show. That's all show. Of course. And it's funny. It's, it's, so you, you get all these views, you drive brand awareness, and it, it's no different in my eyes than you know, kind of in the early days of YouTube and marketing, these people that did unboxing videos, right? I do um, this. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. The people and you. Who, you know, you do these unboxing videos and you get views. People, people really get excited about watching someone else open something else. And it's no different to me. You can rip a box open and take out the contents or you can thoughtfully and artfully unbox it, unwrap it, and that becomes a video. You can take apart a barrel very easily by removing the two rings and the, and the wood falls apart generally. Um, or you can smash it and you can have a whole different experience. And it's funny. Yeah. It's funny because, you know, there's a phrase in marketing, uh, guerrilla marketing, right? And um, where it, there was a time when you would have to hire a firm to get in front of people. And now all you need is your phone, truly. Your phone and a cool idea and people will find you. And maybe you need, maybe you need to, to push it or to bolster the, the post, to boost the post. But at the end of the day, um, it lets everyone be Sydney Frank, right? It lets everyone take their share of mind and create something from it. So, so kudos to you for that. And, and I guess how has that translated to sales? And I don't, I don't care about dollars, but just, is it helped hurt? What have you? Oh, um, it's, yeah. it's, the most, it's the most uh, effective for your dollar and you can take your dollar the furthest with Instagram and those things without question. I mean, I, you, you pay a magazine company to put an ad on a page and really they'll tell you how many points of distribution the magazine has, how many viewers it gets on average, et cetera. But there's no real tracking on it. There's no, it's not like a Facebook it's a billboard. ad. It's a billboard. It's, it's a billboard. You don't know what you're getting. You have, you know, very loose. And then you can't, then you also can't come back and track conversions and see how many people physically saw a magazine ad and then beeline for a liquor store and bought a bottle or 10 or, or you know, 100. That you've no idea. You never know if it was effective or not, really, unless you do, you know, these kind of intricate things where you put a QR code in there and then that links to the internet, but then you're right back to where I'm starting at, which is getting someone on your website to begin yeah. with. There was, so, um, you know, people wonder sometimes, there's a, a phrase in marketing and advertising called, well, it's in finance too, and it's in, it's in contracts, but in this case, it's called clawback, right? How do your call to action, clawback, what have you, how do you get, how do you get the people to see your ad, to see your post, and then get them to have an action plan from it, right? Is it clicking yeah. right? Is it clicking right to Reserve Bar or Drizzly? Is it going to a website of a retailer that's geographically based to where your IP address is? You, you know those things. Yeah. And again, so when we look at suppliers in general, of which you are, it is not just enough anymore to make something, because you really are 
a marketer, a financier, a artist. You have to be a uh, logistics guy, right? A supply chain manager. And you, HR. You're, you're sweating. <laughs> yeah, HR. I mean, it's a lot mm -hmm. of, and, and yeah, all of it. And, and oftentimes you do it with no reward forever. You know, for months and months and months. It's fine. The, we get calls all the time at BevStrap and InvestBev. We get calls all the time from people who are like, um, I'm going to create this brand and I expect my first year sales to be 25,000 cases. <laughs> you can chuckle with me. And um, I think I understand the market because we make a better vodka. So if you can dissect that, yeah, <laughs> sure you do. We, 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 you make a better flavorless, odorless product. Um, and we, and at BevTrack, look, we're here to support. And, and, and you know, some of the, we know a lot, a lot of the same circles. Um, the reality is you can't just be a guy who gives a distillery in Des Moines, Iowa, $50,000 for a container full of vodka and call it your own, yeah. right? Call it Seth's reserve, Brian's reserve. It is, you really have to be all of these things and you have to do them all at once. And oftentimes you will put out 50, 60, $100,000 US and you won't recoup it for years, if at all. So oh, yeah. yeah, of course, but that's, but people, you know, people, it, it, I'm going out to dinner tonight. I don't know if you are. I'll go out to dinner tonight. I will look on the back bar of every restaurant I go to always. And I can, and people forget that a back bar that has 500 bottles, the bar really only sells 50 of them or pours 50 of them. Unless I walk in, then I'm asking for stuff that I get bartenders hate me. <laughs> yeah, but you can't be that. You can't be in every bar in America at every minute. No, luckily, if I don't walk into your bar, you're probably better off because I'm going to ask for something covered in dust that's downstairs, and I make people get off their ass to find something that 100. It's on the menu. If it's on the menu, I'm going to ask for it. So. Yeah, but it, it's it's if you make a vodka, you make a whiskey, right? There's three or four classic drinks that people drink, the general public, and you've got weirdos like you who will come in and say, uh, "I want to create this for me, make me something I've never had before." Do, you know, this is on your menu hidden behind five pages. Let's make it tonight. You know, and that's cool, right? I'm not that guy. I'm the Bombay Sapphire and tonic guy. You know, my, I can have every, any spirit I want on earth. And I drink the same brand and nothing about it, except that I, it's consistent for me. If you look at, if you see the video version of this on YouTube, you'll see that behind Seth is, I'm guessing three or 400 bottles of different things. And and I'm also guessing that Seth has tasted, made drinks with 100% of them. Yeah, you know? they're all open. Yeah, well, yeah. for the YouTube version, you can, you can glance at that too. So. Yeah, that, I mean, that's so impressive. You, that, that's <laughs> we a, built those that's ourselves too. Yeah. Um, yeah, we've got about 900 odd, 950 in here now, something like that. Uh, it's a lot. It's a lot. Um, and yeah, I have tried 90 percent of it with the exception of some special stuff i'm saving for special occasions but no i mean i i'm, I'm and <laughs> for bartenders listening i i don't challenge you to make uh crazy cocktails and i am i am a simple drinker i just want that one bottle that i've never had i'm always out to try something new so i if i can find something at a bar i've never tried before i will order it generally a spirit a spirit sure and so something yeah. new will lead me to infuse spirits because the concept of infuse is new is unique is unusual is special is rare is hard to replicate if not impossible so for people that don't know infuse two sentences on infuse we pretty much to my knowledge are the only single bottle infusion company in the world we put real fruit and spices inside every individual bottle one at a time and let that steep into the vodka, making a really, truly unique one-of-a-kind spirit at the end of it. So the, the, the classic entrepreneur story is when, and I, 
I, I say it as a joke, but I hear it. I have to hear it three times a week at least. We're, we were in a bar and we wanted this drink and, and, and no one made it. So we thought we'd invent it, you know, or um, the classic, there's got to be a better way story, right? There's got to be a better way. It's like a, it's a air quote shark tank moment. Yeah. Um, you know, there's got to, so we thought there's got to be a better way. Um, and for those reasons, I'm up. So, you know, so Seth, what is the origin story of Infuse? Was it a, there's got to be a better way? Was it, hey, we want this and no one makes it, so we'll make it? it was it a combination of that or was it none of the above? Uh, combination. Um, it was, number one, you know, you go into at the time, so this is 2011, 2012. Uh, you go into a liquor store and you look at flavored vodkas and you look at like the premium stuff, like 20 and up. Sure. And you have Grey Goose at like 24.99 roughly. And that's the La Orange or the La Poire or the Cherry Noir. That's a, that's a land grab. Yeah. What's that? It's a land grab more than anything. That's a. I think most flavors of vodkas are. And, and I would be lying if I said that we don't have five different SKUs of vodka for not because each one of them isn't individually phenomenal and in our opinion one of the greatest expressions of those flavors on the shelf be it peach be it lemon be it grapefruit uh vodkas but you know you, you go and you look at these these uh flavor vodka expressions of Grey Goose and they're 24.99 and you know at the time you're kind of going okay it's Tito's is really starting to come into its own. Uh, and this is like nine years ago. Um, and you have Grey Goose, and then you have like some newcomers, like at the time they were relatively new, like Hangar One. And you look at the price difference on Hangar One, which was $36.99 back then. I mean, now today it's come down substantially, but different story. So you have a $12 or you know 50% more than the Grey Goose for the Hangar One. And it's made in California and it's all natural. And you look at really what it boils down to. It says infused with lemons or oranges or whatever the flavor was. And I'm looking at it and I'm like, just because you put the word infused, I'm supposed to trust that this is, you know, one and a, uh, one and a half times better than Grey Goose, the number one vodka, like period that I've been told, or at least marketing has told me. Sure. So I said, look, what if you could do it for the same price as Grey Goose? But you, you know, call it infused. So there's no question about what it is. And prove that it's infused. Literal. But you see it. You, you, your eyes will tell you, even if you can't speak English, you're visiting from a foreign country and English isn't your language. You go into the store and you see a picture of a lemon or you see an actual lemon in the bottle. That's the major difference. So that was sort of the, the aha, like, you know, if I could show people real infusions. And then it also was kind of in conjunction with an experience I had. Um, I was on a cruise, I was in the Caribbean and this bartender was doing this on the bar, on the back bar. She had all these water bottles and it was rum and there was like lychee rum and uh, or lychee, how do you say it? Lychee rum and cinnamon and strawberry and mint. And she had infused her own rums and there was no labels on anything. It was just her, madness on full display in the bottle and i was like man that that's something i thought back to that i thought back to that when i was having this epiphany on the greatest thing and i was like look if i could do that but then it was there's you know years of r&d after that sure. like, how do you actually pull that off it's, it's so people that don't know um think about and i'm gonna really um i'm going to be diminutive here but just for sake of explanation Think about in the summer when you fill a jug full of water and you put fresh lemons in it or, huh? fresh, or fresh watermelon or fresh limes or cucumber and you create a water, uh, cucumber water, lemon water, watermelon water. They do it in health, mint water, basil water. They do it in health clubs all the time. They do it in fancy schmancy restaurants. All Hotels, yeah. Yeah, all, they do it all over LA for sure. Um, and is that would that be the like the lay person's understanding of what infuses sure i mean yeah the thing with those is those are all done fresh so the major difference with our process and 
our sort of recipes that we've landed on and have been able to recreate 20, 30, 40 batches later uh, now into, you know, year seven or, uh, yeah, this is year seven of officially being in the market uh, with infused spirits vodkas. So yes, those are kind of like fresh versions. So, you know, cucumber water, really nice, really refreshing. We don't do cucumber water. We do like the peels or we do dried fruit. So similar, but also different. Got it. Yeah. And just by way of example, I'm just trying to show how um, the way the process has been explained to us in training is that, is it five lemons in one bottle, lemon peel? No, no, one, one entire lemon peel wrap, you know, think about yeah. like a potato peeler or something, uh -huh. a string of lemon peel that kind of floats and dances around inside the bottle, half of a grapefruit peel, for example, yeah. which mounts to anywhere of five to seven feet or five to eight feet Amazing. of lemon peel or five to eight feet of grapefruit peel. And you're getting, you know, natural oils, acids. Um, I mean, you put this thing in the freezer and it'll cloud up because there's real acids um, that have come off of the lemon peel that actually freeze in, uh, in cool temperatures. So no way to chill filter because it's done in the bottle and then sealed and then sold. And, and we talk about all the time on our, on the show here, and with suppliers um, that the consumer shops visually, right? Consumer shops with their eyes. A sale happens. Yes. With, a, a sale happens where price meets value. That's where a sale happens. And so, in this case, you have. And we talked a little bit earlier about Barnum and Bailey esque, right? And and is if it's cracking yeah. a barrel with a sledgehammer, if it, how you market. Really, you're what you've done is created this passive marketing event. So consumers walk by your bottles on a retailer's shelf and it gives them a reason to stop. And it gives them a reason to create pull off the shelf. Now, usually brands need to create their own pull because you've got thousands and thousands of brands and all things being equal, if your label isn't sexy, if your price isn't right, and they don't need your specific brand, you're gonna sit there until the cows come home. In this specific case, Seth, you have created something that not only has push, meaning the account will buy it, but pull, meaning the consumer will buy it also. And so do you feel as though you have cracked the code with infused spirits? I know it's a loaded question. I know it's loaded, crack the code to be different things, but you have managed we sell shit all day long, all over this country. You have managed to create a push and a pull passively. And to me, in my experience, that is a bit of the secret sauce. I think we have secret sauce, most definitely. And I believe in what we do. I think we check off however many P's you want to throw at it. So product is a good, yes, very, very, very good product. Packaging, do we have the, uh, the best packaging in the world? We have great packaging. I think if you include the fruit in the bottle as part of the packaging, which it absolutely is, yeah, right? It's not just a recipe thing. It's also a visual thing, like you said. And then the labels are great. My wife designed them, they're beautiful. Um, do we have, you know, it's a stock bottle. So I'll, I'd say we're almost as good as can be on a, on a package front. You know, would I like a custom bottle on the vodka? Sure. Do I have all the money in the world to do that? Not at the moment, but you know, we'll get there. We, we always will. You know, it's a, it's a mess trying to change packaging anyways, which we're doing on our whiskeys now. So it's, it's a whole thing, but product packaging price point, are we the right price? Absolutely. We're, we, that's probably one of our best things. We, we know pricing very, very well. We have, uh, from a consumer standpoint, which is kind of my two cents, but also from the entire supply chain, and that's where our vice president, uh, Jonathan, uh, really understands distribution, really understands the needs of the uh, distributor, which is, you know, the distributor is the customer for your suppliers. You have to get right with the distributor before you can get right with the consumer. Otherwise, you have, there's a disconnect. I mean, it's really hard you're gonna have a much harder time. It's not impossible, but there are challenges involved in going direct, you know, selling out, you know, 
there are limitations to selling out of your own distillery in, in your hometown or limitations to doing a direct to consumer or direct to retail strategy uh, versus actually knowing how to manage and run your distributor and, and have programming and trainings like today and yesterday, our team was out and about with uh, our California distributor training 50 people, ooze, ahs all across the room, you know, yeah. These people are going out into the world and each one of those 50 people is going to see 10 accounts. And if you connected with even just five of those, you're going to get 50 accounts that are going to get presented in Fuse or Broken Barrel in your brand if you have a good rapport and a good, the right distributor and all that stuff. So pricing and then people, obviously kind of blending in there at the end, but you have to have the right people selling it. You have to have the right people making it. You have to have the right kind of passion. That's maybe another P. However many P's you want to, we've checked the boxes. Um, and that's what I'll say we've done in terms of, have we cracked the code? I don't know. I mean, we're not, no one, no one's offered us a billion dollars for the company yet. So maybe not, but have we checked all the boxes? Absolutely. I, I think so. Yeah. I, look, at the end of the day, if you, you make, you don't have to master the push and pull of, of sales, but you have to at least know that, that it exists. You can't, turn, you can't turn it. Well, yeah, of course, but um, you and I have both met suppliers who are just resting on the craft. And at the end of the day, like we, how we started this thing, it's so much more. Do you, what do you think your biggest mistake was? So you're, so, so let's take a step back. You're successful. You have brands, you've got this uh, space in LA, um, tasting room, event space, all of it, right? Uh, the infusory. Yeah, and, yeah. Right, and you've got a multitude of brands, you're developing brands, you've got a team around you. That's today. What would today's Seth tell, tell 10 year ago Seth about what he's learned? Uh, today, Seth would tell 10 years ago, well, 10 years ago, I wasn't doing this, or nine years, eight years ago, hire the right people on the first, if you can, you know, and that's, even though you know that inherently, oh, I should hire the right people versus say, I don't know, the wrong people. That's kind of obvious, but how important it is yeah. and when, how quickly you can get to that right person and not waste yours or other people's yeah, fire, time. Quickly. Fire quickly. You got to fire quickly. You got to hire quickly. You got to get the right people in, and then you got to build around them and utilize them and trust them um, to do their jobs and not really micromanage. You know, you have. I mean, one of the biggest things you got to know what you don't know. I think you know. I think that's how I got to where I am today. But what would I tell myself ten years ago? The mistakes. It doesn't have to be mistakes. I mean, you, you know, you can tell yourself anything. I, you know, I tell myself to lay off the sweets. You know? Oh yeah. <laughs> Always, you know, maybe, maybe this is, you know, uh, under promise and over deliver and everything you do. And even like, you know, if you think you need a million dollars, you should get two and then be, you know, be trying to spend one and a half or one on what you thought you needed $2 million, you know, to do. Yeah, you're gonna need more than you think you need. Right, hundred percent. And the phrase, and the phrase is, if you need a million dollars, ask for two and spend a half. Yeah, that's the idea, and that's so true. People, they sit down, they run their numbers, they they come to you, Brian, and say, "We're gonna sell twenty five thousand." It's like, no, you're probably gonna sell twelve. If you're going for twenty five, you'd be lucky to get ten or twelve. Yeah. Uh, if you have all the boxes checked, again, you have to have all the boxes checked. And also, if you think if you budgeted, you know, five million dollars to sell twenty-five, you're probably going to need seven and a half just to be safe, and that's going to get you to ten or twelve. Like that's the reality for nine out of ten craft spirits companies. And I'm not making this like this isn't an opinion. This is like what IWSR has calculated and measured from you know ample amount of feedback from multiple craft distilleries and put out these reports at Park Street and all that stuff. So I, I read those reports and I look at that stuff uh, very closely and scrub the information I need to make points and 
make presentations and stuff. But it's important to know that that nine out of ten craft distilleries and people that are listening to this, if this if this is you, you know, nine out of ten are under a million dollars in sales, are under five thousand nine liter cases a year. Uh, yeah. Most of that business in their backyard out of their distillery, doing pretty much the majority of the remainder beyond that in their home state and aren't really in many other states or other countries for that matter. They probably have way too many SKUs. You know, a lot of times the people you're talking about, Brian, that are, you know, all passion, all craft. Um, and I know so many co companies and people like this that are, they're just putting out anything and everything they can because they want to and because it's good not because they should. And that's where you run into problems. You've yep. got 12 liqueurs, eight rums, four yep. vodkas, three gins. And you look at it and you go, okay, what's selling? And it's like two items are doing 99% of the volume. It's like, okay. Yeah, I, 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 remember, <laughs> I remember back in the day, I was doing a consulting project for a, a chain of stores in Indiana, um, the biggest chain in Indiana. And um, they were opening up a new store and the reps came in um, to do the initial fill and the new Amsterdam guy came in and he, you know, new Amsterdam has 40 flavors or something silly like that. You know, oh, that, wow. yeah, you know, they really have, they have, you know, it's like pinnacle with the whipped cream and the cinnamon stick and the whole thing. Yeah, they, I always thought they had like the most the pinnacle. Guys. Well, it, it, I, I'm, I'm, I'm exaggerating for effect, but it, it was 12, at least 15. And I said to the guy and the people, uh, and I was there as kind of a, uh, a catch all in, Who's, who's bullshitting and who's not from a supplier standpoint, from a distributor standpoint. And I said to the guy in the New Amsterdam guy, I said, how many, what's the percentage of sales are generated from the flavors against what is generated from just plain vodka? And it's 5% against 95%. So 5% over 10 or 12 SKUs and 95% over one SKU. So the question then becomes store owner, why are you buying 12 things that are going to sell five out of every hundred times someone buys something? And so that's the, and that's the land grab conversation we had earlier, right? To your point, what we always like to tell suppliers when they're thinking about getting in the business. So I guess they're not suppliers yet. They're just, they're branch entrepreneurs, right? They're, they're trying to be in, in the, that's yeah. my, don't steal that from me, please. The brand entrepreneur and, and I, I say the following sentence and everyone gets a lot of head nods and they still, and they go turn around and do exactly what they were going to do, which is if you make a, if you make a product for yourself, you're going to have an audience of one. If you make a product for everyone, you'll have everyone as an audience. And, you know, I lower my voice for effect, <laughs> but, but the, but the, but the reality is that you are doing it the right way. And, and we like to showcase suppliers who say, look, I, this is what, this is legitimately a better mousetrap. You can see the fruit in, in, in the case of infused, you can see the fruit. We can document, we can prove to you that there is one full lemon here. There's one half pineapple here. There's this, there's that grapefruit, whatever it is, we can show you this. And not only can we talk to you about it, you can see it. You can see it in the bottle. And you so, can taste it too. You can, and you can taste, taste it, but, but it, the, the eyes are the like purchase. Fruit, not like candy, you know? That's the rebuy. That's the pull that you're talking about. When you taste something and all the other things that led up to the purchase, the price, the packaging, the story, the marketing, if the product isn't good, that's where you have a whole nother series of challenges and problems. Because no one, the best marketing in the world isn't going to have you keep drinking shit and putting shit down your throat. You know, just because Mila Kunis is drinking, you know, this whiskey or that, I, I forget which one she represents. Maybe yeah. it is good whiskey. No, but it's, if it wasn't good whiskey, let's say she was marketing bean. a brand that was bean. Yeah. terrible whiskey, but she's super, you know. Engaging. Bean. She's super engaging. Yeah. Well, let's say she's repping Beam White Label, which obviously is not like the best product they've got. You're not going to be buying it just because devil's cheese. cut, I think. It's devil's cut. Devil's cut. I don't think I've had that one. But anyways, the, the point being that marketing will get that first purchase for sure. But if the product doesn't taste good, it tastes like shit, 
you're not going to keep buying it just because you saw it put out one time. And I don't see the value in, I don't, again, it's, people do a lot of these things and they, they, they look in the mirror for advice, but they don't look outside the mirror for advice. And I don't, celebrity, anything. I mean, there's a whole bunch of brushback right now on Kendall Jenner, um, you know, on the 808. Yeah, they want it. That's my zip code. <laughs> yeah, well, there, there you go. And, and look, it's still going to do, it'll be like uh, the Rocks tequila, right? It's still going to do big numbers. I don't, I don't agree. It, I will, don't be, agree. it will be a top selling tequila for some people. Yes, it will be. But I think the Rock has a few intricate, intricate differentiations in what he did, has done that far exceed anything any of the other brands, celebrity brands have ever done. I think he is a unique case in the, even in celebrity spirits, he's a unique case. And I, I could go on about that and we could talk about that maybe on another episode or something. But I have a whole theory of opinions on how brilliant what he did was. But back to your point um, about making something for everyone versus yourself. I think it's a great example because I, I pretty much stopped drinking vodka five years ago. Mm -hmm. I haven't ordered a vodka or bought a new vodka from my or many other brands other than stuff that's been sent or given to me in over five years. And the only vodka I really drink is our stuff to taste it for quality control and make sure it still tastes like how I want it and remember it needing to taste um, from trying every batch from one to you know 40 of all the different flavors and honestly the mango habanero i make the other guys drink because i it's too spicy for me i have heartburn i can't deal with it but that's a great example of something for someone else i think there are swaths of people that love mango habanero they want it spicy it's not even spicy enough i can't drink it i don't like it it's too spicy i get it i get why people like it but i don't like it but that's not for me with whiskey i would say it's like four for them and then one for me. So I'll come out with one thing for myself every like year. And it'll be, and those batches will get smaller and smaller and smaller. Cause I, you asked what was the biggest mistake I made? And it was launching 3,300 cases of various whiskeys, cool stuff. I mean, still by all accounts, cool stuff. A Montiato finished uh, blended whiskey, a Mizanara blended whiskey, uh, an Islay Scotch blended, uh, finished blended whiskey. It was really, really neat stuff that we were putting out, but it was too much of it. It was too many at one time. And it, it, it went to these distributors and it sat there for way too long. Yeah. Um, not because it wasn't good or wasn't marketed well, but just because it was too much and too many uh, at a time that wasn't even, it was coming out in Q4. It was too much. It was, all the boxes were unchecked of how to do a, brand new, exciting, crazy, interesting project, right? Should have been 90% less of the product and it should have been a different time of year and it should have been one and then see how it goes and the next one, see how it goes and the next one. And there was no need to rush it all out. That's, so, why, that's why life is a long journey. Yeah. Yeah. So we- <laughs> Learning Russian. Yeah, for sure. Uh, look, people that, I, I talked to a supplier today that sent over two containers of Romanian uh, red wine uh, to Western carriers in New Jersey, two containers. And I said, is there a 3,200 case demand that I'm not seeing in New York City for, for Romanian blend? And, you know, it's, if you look in the mirror, the one guy telling you the truth will lie to you. It's, it's human nature. You tell yourself what you want to hear. If you go to external people and you ask the same questions, you'll get good feedback. It may not feel good, but you will get the feedback that is based in your audience. Um, we're, so we're at the, the point of the pod where we do a little game where we call, well, it's not, we call it drink or pass, but it can be, it's the equivalent of hot or not, um, drink or pass. So I say a series of things and I'm just curious on your opinion uh, in, in a kind of a quick fire game. You ready? Sure, do I say drink or pass? That's, those are, the, those are my say, answers. You uh, can say hot or not, you can say sucks, whatever you want or great. But the concept is, this concept is of a drinker pass. Um, okay. Non-elk whiskey. Pass. Oh, pass. Try it. Terrible. <laughs> Try a couple. Artificial aging of whiskey. 
drink if it tastes good, pass if it doesn't. I mean, well, is it, but as a concept, do you believe as a concept pass? Uh, do you believe the consumer will bypass five years of aging of Kentucky rye over one year of fake aging? No, nor do pass. I pass. True or false? Gin is next to pop. False. Rum is next to pop. Define pop. <laughs> rum is next, um, rum is next uh, to appreciate to have to have this wonderful renaissance. The same same way the brown spirits has, the same way that tequila has, the same way that mezcal is starting to have. No, false. Tequila is the one. Do you believe mezcal and tequila? Yes. Are, will we'll rise together double fisting drink yes <laughs> do you believe that that quorum will have an extension to pisco and cachaca not in the u.s in the next five to ten years i don't think okay rum would be before that in terms of popping in my opinion sure. rum is never it's rum and gin have never quite I've got plenty of age rum here. I like a, I like rum in a big ice cube, um, especially in 80 degrees today. I, I like that. Um, gin is my go-to and it's hasn't much changed except they add more plants. Gin popped, but in the UK, not yeah. here. So I mean, if we're talking US, we're we're we've got tons of different gins. Every kind of innovation that happened over there has been brought here. We have pink gins. We have, you know, all these botanical kinds of gins. We've got the multi gin. We've got all these, yeah. you know, tea infused gins and, you know, barrel aged gins, which I think are phenomenal spirits in and of themselves. But it just never did it pop. I don't believe so. Is it up? I'm sure. I'm sure all spirits, I believe, are pretty much doing better than before. If you look at on like the grand scale, you zoom out a little bit, spirits are doing fine. I yeah. think flavor doc has taken a hit, but if you, ex if you extracted like the top 10 brands that like, were kind of overvalued in, in flavored vodka, if you look at craft vodkas, I think all craft flavor and regular vodkas are probably up relative to like, you know, absolute probably took a major hit and lost 10% of whatever it's flavored vodka, but that 10% made the entire category dip nine when if you took it out, it was actually up. The same thing with confectionery vodkas in 2015-ish. If you were to take out the cake and whipped cream vodkas, flavored vodka was actually up year over year, but the, the confectionery flavors were causing the whole thing to go down because they were so high that when they lost 50% of the volume, it just affected the whole uh, it skewed all the data massively. So those things do matter. If you don't, you can't take everything on face value. You got to ask deeper questions about what's really going on in the market. It, it, you really are. You really do. You really are dissecting the data. You really are looking at it. Um, yeah. you, you know, I, I, I am, I'm stupid. And one of the things that I like to think is that from, a, from an appreciation value standpoint or from a the customer willing to pay more, anything that has age to it that can't be faked and anything that has scarcity to it that can't be faked and anything that has a supply shortage that can't be faked are horses to bet on. Um, you can't yeah. make more agave. You can't make more rye. You cannot... Uh, there's a shortage of rye. There's a shortage of wood to house the rye. There's a shortage of grain. There's a shortage of mezcal. There's a shortage of agave. Um, and the demand continues to rise. And what makes the whole thing go is that you have to wait at least three years, at least in whiskey, bourbon, you have to wait at least three years to so it becomes what it is at the very root level, right? So those things play towards popping, gin you can make in a week in your bathtub same with vodka and so because there's no barrier of entry there's no scarcity and because there's no scarcity there's no pop to it because you can you're never going to be without yeah i mean gin needs that aperol spritz moment where everyone and their grandma's drinking aperol spritz 
and then Aperol sales go, you know, apeshit for like past two or three summers, you know, maybe prior to COVID, everyone was celebrating life and getting out and having, uh, you know, Aperol spritzes. It was a huge, I think it was 2018 or 2019. It was like some some celebrity somewhere, I'm sure, went to Italy and started drinking Aperol spritzes. Kind of programming it. Yeah. But again, it's Aperol spritz is not a daily drinker and it's a subset of a subset of a spirit category. So it's not, oh, of course, of it, course. So, but, every, but it's not my point is Aperol spritz is Aperol is not scarce at all. You can get as much Aperol or substitute it out um, and make a similar cocktail with a different, you know, uh, liqueur. But ultimately, it's not scarce, yet it can have the uh, virality to go to go out of control and i think gin if if some drink came out that swept the nation that involved gin that could cause it to quote unquote pop uh again you know but right now gin is already being consumed 65 percent of it's consumed in gin and tonics yeah well so that, that drink already exists and that's where the gin's already going so the pop it, you know the pop is what you're seeing in gin sales. And if that doesn't feel or seem like a pop, then it's kind of maybe hit that height until someone does something else with it. Right, I mean, not, look, the number, one, the number one drink for gin is already the number one drink for gin, right? Yeah. Yeah, so I, I get it. So, and it's the easiest drink to make. You can make it with two ingredients, so it's easy. I'm gonna make it in about 10 minutes. Um, there you go. <laughs> you know, you're, you're at 2.30 there. I'm, I'm, I'm bumping up on five o'clock here and it's Friday and it's the summer. Um, Thanks you. Thank you so much for being on. Um, I very much appreciate it. Where can people find you and your and your um, the infusory? Tell us where we can find you online and, and how do we buy your goods? Easiest thing always is just Google infused spirits vodka or broken barrel whiskey. And if you live in one of what thirty three non control states, you can find. Uh, our stuff online and get it delivered, which is always easier than driving around looking for it. We have a store finder on infuspirits.com, punch in your zip code, find a store near you. If you live near a Total Wine, we're in 99% of them. Um, and there's lots of great stores in Cal California listeners. Please go pick up a California Oak, delicious Cabernet finished bourbon uh, at an Albertsons Vaughn Pavilions. Call ahead, make sure they have some stuff in stock, but yeah. We're very proud to be at uh, AVP, Albertson's Vaughn Pavilions in California, Southern California, specifically. Great, so. great plug. Uh, thank you. Thanks for being on. Thank very much. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Yeah. Appreciate it.